And this is different than anything, any clinic around. Workouts that are tailored for her, and that really makes a difference. Really personal. I've gotten way more mobile, stronger, flexible. So everything just improves me to the next level. Welcome to the On Cue Performance Therapy Podcast, where we push sports performance and physical therapy to its apex. We change the game by bringing together the brightest minds in the field to offer best practices and question how things are done today. I'm your host, Mike Quintins, physical therapist and expert in sports orthopedics. I'm living my dream and opened a clinic that unites all elements of sports medicine under one roof to drive recovery and performance outcomes. What's up, guys? This is Mike Quintins, your host of the On Cue Performance Podcast. I'm here today with Dr. Nick Romanski, senior partner at the Healthmark Foot and Ankle. Uh, he's got locations in Phoenixville, Exton, the media, all right outside the Philadelphia area. Happy to have you, Doc. What's going on? Thanks for letting me come in tonight. Yeah, great to have you. So uh, I want to get right into it. Affiliations, Nike, uh, the USA Olympic team, fill me in. Yeah, so basically, um, I've been fortunate to be associated with many professional and amateur teams, uh, college teams as well, as well as multiple companies associated with these teams, uh, such as Nike. Um, so it's really, I, I'm very involved at uh, different levels, including research as well as uh, the clinical application uh, with shoe gear and different uh, equipment. That's awesome. Uh, so tell me about how that started. How, how did that all begin? Yeah. So it all started when I was in college uh, where I had a independent student program, which was a separate major that blended multiple uh, programs together or majors. And one of them was athletic training, um, teaching secondary education, pre-med. Um, so a as a result, uh, I didn't really want, didn't know what I really wanted to do. Um, I uh, was able to blend this program into uh, a variety of ways. So at the time of going through school, um, it was a time of um, different types of uh, sports booms that were going on, running, tennis, and skiing. So based on that, most of the injuries that occurred and most of the uh, focus on, on sports medicine and medicine was really of the lower extremity. So as a result, I was fortunate to go to graduate school at Penn State University for exercise physiology and biomechanics and uh, cardiac rehab. And that was blended into working in um, development of shoe gear uh, for Runner's World and uh, independent um, evaluation of multiple shoes for the Runner's World uh, magazine. That led to um, development of um, shoes and inserts and uh, athletic uh, uh, gear. Um, uh, which then led on to associations with multiple teams. Uh, based on the, the lower extremity being most involved in most injuries, including the low back, podiatry was a perfect fit um, for addressing basically from the low back down what podiatry can focus on, uh, whether it's uh, joints or um, sports medicine or um, soft tissue injuries. That also included just uh, basic podiatry, which was uh, warts and ingrown toenails and all the things that we see in the lower extremity. So it was kind of a blended past, and uh, it was all mentored by a uh, physician who was the um, physician for the U.S. ski team. So 
when that all went through and I went on to medical school, I was fortunate to do my uh, residency and um, uh, fellowship uh, throughout the country, which then led to uh, associations with these teams and companies um, that really allowed me to pursue medicine, but also do these outside interests of um, shoe development, inserts, and um, uh, other sports-related products. Um, so that was kind of a sideline of um, what I do in clinical practice every day. Um, so and that's real important because when the athlete comes in or the, or the amateur comes in, you really have to address um, other aspects of just uh, foot and ankle. That's, uh, that's a lot uh, and, and covered a lot there. I think what's most interesting about what you just ran through was your background in biomechanics, exercise physiology, and and how that all contributes, uh, how the foot contributes to all that. So uh, is that how you kind of saw it working, like a, yeah, like a chain concept? Yeah. The way I look at it is that the foot is the foundation for the rest of the body. So the foot is connected to the rest of the body. So with an old saying back in the day, uh, if your foot hurts, everything hurts. Um, so that's an old uh, proverb from way back where grandparents would tell you. So that's where it all kind of blends in. You got to look at, you know, that's connected. So that's where the physical therapy aspect comes in. Um, that's where it comes in with my association as a team podiatrist for U.S. soccer, men's and women's uh, teams, whether it's Olympic, World Cup, or national teams. Um, so it's very important to, to include that uh, in um you know, your approach to treating athletes every day. So how did you get into, into it with the USA, women, men's and women's soccer? So I was fortunate um, to be involved in soccer as a high in high school and in college, which then we dealt with that at Penn State at multiple levels. Um, and then um, ha having played and um, knowing multiple people from uh, my, well, my college, um, uh, colleagues or people along the way uh, kind of got involved just uh, because with, with shoe companies um, with sponsorship you just became involved in soccer and having a you know a strong background in soccer that led me to be um, you know team podiatrist for um, the U.S. soccer team. I think that's great so what does that lead you to do for them how often do you do you meet do you do physicals? What's your involvement with the yeah. team? So you have to you have to look at it this way that a lot of um, there's multiple teams involved in U.S. soccer. So you have the under 14s, you have the under 16s, you have the the senior team, men's and women's. You have beach soccer, you have um, futsal. Um, there's different levels, men and women, uh, based on age group. It's uh, age group is the you know development aspects of it. So. You know, you go out and you just really, you, you, you travel internationally and domestically. Most of the time I'm traveling internationally, depending on um, prior to the coronavirus outbreak, we, we did a lot of traveling and I can choose kind of where I want to go based on my schedule and um, wherever it may be. But typically it's North America, South America, and Central America is typically where I go uh, as far as uh, my traveling with the teams at, at whether it's a, a younger team or it's the, the senior team. What do you enjoy most about traveling with, to, see, to work with these teams? Well, you get to see the culture. We usually take the players uh, at least one day on something that's associated with a country, whether it's um, whitewater rafting in Costa Rica or going um, you know, on, on the camels in the Middle East or something uh, you know, in Argentina. Um, so we always try to get some flavor of the, where we're at. 
Uh, but really, you have to be very careful, almost very similar to the, the coronavirus situation that we have. So when we're abroad, we have to be very careful of hygiene, food intake, uh, strict dietary needs. Um, so that really becomes all part of my job and not just the foot and ankle and lower extremity. It's really, you really have to manage the, the player and really uh, watch him, he or she, as far as their actions, um, you know, from eating into washing their hands to eating ice uh, to all the little things that can cause some systemic issues like eye infections and GI problems. So you have a very holistic perspective uh, and uh, that comes through in, in how you describe your interactions with the team even uh, outside of soccer and, and your enrollment, at, you know, your involvement as a podiatrist for the team, but even in your background. So uh, tell me about that holistic perspective. Well, I think it comes down to the foot is connected to the rest of the body. Uh, we talk about closed chain and open chain um, uh, theories with the physical therapy, training habits, um, and, and so on. So um, you really have to look at the, the entire athlete, patient, um, young athlete, uh, where the injury come f comes from. So my always theory has always been treat the cause and not um, the symptom. So we always look for the... For the um, for the cause, and typically the cause is either muscle imbalance, uh, weakness, uh, or muscle compensation. Um, and then that then takes me down the way to uh, approach uh, looking at the deficits, and that's where physical therapy comes into play, where they are uh, the, the best anatomists in the business, and they're the best with biomechanics, and they can, they're really good diagnosticians that really helps to determine what their cause is and then I can blend that in with getting that player back on the field, back on the court, back on the track, back on the trail. My goal is to keep them running. I never stop people from training. I just do the theory of relative rest where we always modify, we never stop. And at the same time, we're evaluating, we're, we always diagnose, we always treat, and we always rehab at the same time rather than stop an athlete. Um, and that's kind of where my you know, goal is up top uh, with higher level athletes. When you have to deal with agents, you have to deal with contracts, you have to use a different product. Um, there's really no room for that, that we have to do that. I bring that down to the amateur level, the high school player, uh, the young athlete in, in middle school, uh, where that all has to come into play. So it's, this is really a theory for, from all ages and all levels of, um, of sports play. I'm over here nodding my head, smiling. Uh, I, I think I know why we get along so well. Uh, I mean, not only did you toot the horn of PTs, but uh, but you, you get it. I mean, you really do. Your your theories, I, I see it the same way. Uh, muscle imbalance, weakness, compensation. And I think that uh, if we can develop algorithms, not to dive too deep into this, but if we can develop algorithms on how to address these, identify and then address these deficits. Uh, we talked about a little bit, talked about that a little bit last time with Brian Jerva on our last podcast. And if we can do that, then we can get to the problem, the culprit, not the victim. Right. Um, well said. And I think it comes down to also that you really have to, you need to measure. If you can't measure, you can't manage. It's really critical. If you can't measure, you can't manage. So we want to have some form of evaluation where we can measure. Then we can manage as we go to different levels of the, what I call the four stages of physical therapy. Um, and the last, the, the last two phases, the most important, phase three and phase four, which phase three is the sports-specific activity, 
and phase, I mean, phase three is a sports specific activity and phase four is a higher level activity than you never had prior to injury. Our goal is to get you better than you were prior to injury, looking at the deficits and looking at where we can make you higher, faster, um, proceed longer on the field, on a, on, a, on a trail or whatever. So that's really, really critical to look at all aspects here as a complete uh, pie with multiple pieces and uh, with a conversation, a communication with the physical therapist is absolutely critical because uh, they see it from one perspective, I see it for another, but really we're just looking at the cause in hope of um, you know getting that player um, to sustain a long athletic career. Um, so that's, that's kind of it in a little bit in a nutshell. Sure. I mean, it all comes back to expectations. Physical therapy, I think, uh, this is a very broad perspective, is based on getting people back to function, right? And my perspective, similar to yours, is let's get them better than they were before. There's a reason they have this problem now is because there was an issue before that was underlying and slipped through the cracks or they didn't notice it, and here they are now injured in front of us. How do we get them? That's my job. How do we get them? We work together on this. How do we get them back to better than before? Better their, their performance needs to be better than before. And and to me, that's that's a difference between what a lot of people think PT is, even physical therapists, and and what you and I and there's a lot of others of us like uh, out there like us that see it the same way we do. That we have to get them better than they were before. Right. So again, we keep on focusing on the athlete or the amateur athlete or the young athlete, but I think we really have to look at the general public. And in today's society becoming um, more um, stay at home because of uh, working at home or because we're having more um, technology. Uh, I think uh, one of these deficits, weaknesses, and compensation um, uh, issues come about, and I think that's where we have to look at, uh, you know, if it's not the athlete, my job is to keep the person active, keep them walking. I got to keep them mobile, uh, and that means um, going in for a functional screen at a physical therapist to find out their deficits, but the goal is to keep them um, active so they can keep their cholesterol down, they can decrease the chance of diabetes, can um, lower heart disease, to lower the chance of high blood pressure. Uh, on the in the general community and, and the importance of activity as we all become less active because of the you know the world changing so I think we just can't focus on the athlete we got to focus on the non-athlete which is probably a bigger um, uh, population um, and I think people once they see that that they can do certain things uh, in the much older population you know all the insurance companies are always worried about what we call fall prevention. So that, that leads to huge amounts of uh, monetary outlay for the, um, for the insurance company. So if we can stop a patient or limit a patient uh, the frequency and in, uh, intensity of a slip and fall because we can teach them um, basic ergonomics and basic things about their body so they can stand better uh, at the kitchen and walk around house and function better, that's really, really critical uh, from an economic point of view. Uh, I'll say this, uh, I've said this before, athletes is what attracted me to physical therapy. The general public population is what kept me and made me fall in love with physical therapy. Helping an athlete recover and perform better than they did before on, you know, on the pitch or on the field is super attractive. But helping you know, Susan Smith 
go well, up and down the steps without pain uh, or return to running or uh, whatever it may be is that's what made me fall in love with physical therapy. That's more satisfying to help someone that could be your mom or your sister or brother get back to their everyday functional activities and even their goals. Maybe it's not falling, like you said, or uh, maybe it's something like running or riding the bike again. Uh, to me, that, that's a difference. Right. And I think if you give them the confidence from a physical point of view, that certainly helps their medi- medi- well, the medical aspect, but it also helps their mental aspect as well. There's a lot to mental medicine um, and not just physical medicine or physical therapy. Uh, if you can give them confidence to move better uh, and be able to carry on their daily social and recreational activities with confidence, uh, that's, that's what we want. Amen. Uh, into the mental part a little bit. Communication, you mentioned it earlier, between a physician uh, or any, anybody involved in the care of a patient. What are your thoughts on the role roles of the medical professionals, whether it be an athletic trainer or a personal trainer or a physical therapist, physician, whoever's involved? Uh, how much of a role does communication play in, in the recovery of, for that individual? Well, I think it's even more now uh, a critical aspect of treating a patient because of the computers and um, you know the technology we have now, we sometimes get away from communication because we all want to push a button. So the whole idea is to look, listen, and feel, uh, and really listen to the athlete or the patient, um, and then not just put that in a computer. Uh, then somebody reads it. Uh, you have to pick up the phone. Unfortunately, you know the way the we used to do it, and just communicate as a team approach um, to you know overall get the individual back to the highest level of their capability but i think you know communication is absolutely critical at all levels and not just behind a screen or in a computer one of the f- few physicians where i'll see a prescription that says in all caps call me i you, know, you don't see that you just don't uh, and frankly i don't I'm not sure many physicians want to get a call from the pt uh but doesn't matter it could be 8 p.m 9 p.m 10 p.m dr nick's calling you back or or he's answering the call he's uh, one of a kind uh, when it comes to that. And his patients appreciate it. Uh, that, I mean, that's that's a fact. Uh, and that's proven evidence in, in your success. Um, all right, I got a couple questions left for you. Nike, what, what are you working on? What's now? Uh, so there's always, you know, for, with U.S. soccer, and um, there's always some kind of project um, to work on, whether it's an insole. Um, you know, because I'm in the in the field every day seeing patients, you know, companies want the feedback of how a product is performing, whether it's a, uh, a staple issue, a nail issue, a cleat issue, breakage issue, a lace issue, just simple stuff based on performance. So I'm in the field, uh, in the trenches, and I see, you know, the equipment every day, and they want a feedback, whether it's U.S. soccer or, you know, someone else uh, that I may be working on or working with. And, uh, and again, it's really... Uh, all, all companies want this, not just uh, the Nikes of the world and that, but they want to see feedback because what you see in the lab sometimes is not what you know you see on the field, on the track. So that's really where my role comes in, uh, knowing a lot of people at different you know, sports companies and knowing people at independent labs out in, um, out in Oregon that they want to see some feedback to people in terms of how, how just because it looks good in, in the lab and performs well in the lab, it may not you know, be um, that way, you know, on the field or on the track. So that's where I become, again, the communicator between what you see every day and what's kind of in the lab. And then, then you always have to morph it. Um, and there's always something to do to make it better, to more efficient, to 
uh, more comfortable. You know, we say comfort and um, and uh, contour and and uh, not just um, you know the physical appearance of something. So there's always something to do, to, and and be, for the most part, you know, the companies will appreciate the feedback, whether it's at a rep level or at the lab level. I think that's awesome that you're working inside the sneaker or inside the right. cleat or shoe. Right. I think that that's pretty cool. Um, all right, uh, changing pace a little bit. From your perspective, what does the future of sports medicine and sports performance look like? Well, I think they go hand in hand. And I think over the years in practice now, 32 years in practice, I think you've seen changes over each decade. You know, before it was just try to get the player back and just patch them up, you know, whether surgically or, or non-surgically. Then it became down to reconstruction um, where you just, uh, you tried to put it together the best you can. And then it came to more biomechanics and and reconstruction at the same time to trying to get it back more mechanically uh, efficient with surgery. And I think now the future is now being a little bit more proactive and looking at the regeneration uh, using stem cell. Uh, PRP's been around for a while, but stem cell and the application of that and seeing regeneration before you have to do constructive or reconstructive surgery or some type of surgical intervention. So I think that's where you're now going to see a different um, open pathway where we're now looking at regeneration before they get that joint gets surgically uh, impaired or needs to have surgical uh, repair, uh, where you look at the impairment and you treat it earlier and more proactively than rather than reactively, conservatively, and surgery. And I think that's, in my opinion, that will be the next 10 years of looking at it a little bit more proactively, such as stem cell and uh, different types of um, homeopathic, naturopathic, whether injectable, oral, topicals that you can apply and, um, and use and address this. So I think that's where you're going to see um, trying to combine more of that, not just um, surgically and biomechanically, but you're going to see um, the next generation possibly of regeneration. So not a lot of this, uh, these techniques that you're uh, that you brought up are FDA approved, uh, to my understanding, or ins at least insurances aren't reimbursing for a lot of it. Um, what are the threats that you see uh, in terms of research, maybe that um, that that may be more more effective uh, or less effective? So it's it's early stages now uh, that we're looking at with um, you know different uh, modalities and uh, techniques of getting people uh, better uh, before surgical intervention. But again, it comes down to the insurance companies. Um, many of them not paying because they say it's um, uh, sometimes more research oriented. It's not been approved by FDA, but stem cell has been approved by the FDA. Um, but there's certain restrictions on that because the um, you don't want to know somehow uh, modify somebody's uh, stem cells that can create all kinds of issues uh, that we've seen in some people that you know have gotten into um, trouble um, politically and uh, ethically uh, with that so it is an insurance issue but you know there's the cash aspect of it um, but I think with time that will become more available as insurance companies and people become more comfortable with different techniques such as some stem cell I think regen's the future yeah. uh, for, for, the, for the common population, even for athletes. I think they're getting ahead of it now. You're seeing more athletes, uh, like you said, proactively getting some of these procedures done uh, prior to be, there being a more serious issue that requires reconstruction or, or something of repair. Right. And I think that's where the communication comes in, the team approach comes in. 
having the open-mindedness to look at all aspects, not just to the traditional medicine that you see at the academic and university levels, but you really see start thinking outside the box uh, and look at all aspects to, again, keep that person yeah. walking, playing, uh, just living life on a daily social and recreational basis. I, that, that's all I got. That's everything. Uh, I, think, I think along with what you just said, proactive instead of reactive, I think physical therapy and sports performance is headed the same direction. I think a, a lot of what uh, we're seeing now are screenings being done, uh, and and we're trying to uh, mainline these screenings to get uh, to, to get ahead of it. All right, wh what are we missing during preseason uh, that that we're seeing come to fruition during the season, uh, or maybe it's the beginning of golf season, uh, and we're talking about a golfer, you know, your your average Joe or a runner. Uh, what could we be doing in the wintertime before running starts in the spring to predict what type of issues that we could be seeing? So I think that's where the, uh, the functional screen comes in, uh, where the, uh, you know, the uh, doctor of any type um, will say, please evaluate this patient, tell me what you see, and then you know, pick up the phone and communicate, then you base an individual plan on that. Uh, I think that's really critical that we do the screen and we be proactive and look at the um, look at the patient before the injury happens and then really treat the problem before uh, and then educate the you know the athlete. I have an old saying: I always like to have see people uh, get hurt at a younger age, and uh, so they can learn about their body, can they learn about their deficits? The earlier they learn that, the better they're in tune with their body and. Um, whether it's they become a high-level athlete or just going through life, they um, uh, will be educated that way, counseled appropriately, and reminded this is what they need to work on just for everyday life, whether you're walking around the college campus or high school or whatever. So I think it's uh, real important to have that functional screen early and, uh, and communicate. Yeah, so the functional screen for, for our listeners out there is uh, typically physical therapists do it. There's also coaches, uh, athletic trainers, uh, even personal trainers, strength conditioning coaches are pretty much all know this. Functional screen is, uh, functional movement screen in particular, is a series of, I believe, nine movements. And it helps us identify what are the potential impairments uh, or what impairments lead to a potential injury. Um, so that, to me, we talked about this a little bit at our last podcast with Brian Jerva, that's gold. If we're not doing that as physical therapists, when a patient comes to the door with tendonitis of his knees or, his, or her ankles or whatever else, we're missing out on what the real source of the problem is and we're just treating the symptoms like you mentioned earlier. So, um, yeah, I, think, I think lastly is you gotta look at the foot's connected to the rest of the body. And as a result of that, your, your foot is your job, your foot is your sport. Your foot is your life. And I'm not saying because I'm a podiatrist, because really a lot of it goes there and you gotta work you know, north or go up north. Um, you know, that's connected to the rest of the body, whether it's your back or hip, uh, knee or, or whatever. So I think that's really, you have to look at it. It is your job. If you don't have your, you know, your foundation there, you're not gonna walk around some of these big box stores. You're not gonna do your job at any big company because you can't function as efficiently as you can. So that's kind of how, how I have that. That's gotta be connected to the rest of the body. All right, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna maybe confuse some people here. Foot pronation, tibial inversion, this is tibial inversion, right? Or internal rotation, femoral internal rotation, then locks in the pelvis into posterior pelvic tilt, puts the rib cage 
into a neutral position as opposed to lumbar lordosis or thoracic extension, um, and you get a neutral spine. Right, so I think you gotta look at this. Some of, this, um, some of these uh, terms that my Q is thrown out basically looks at a couple of things. Number one is that uh, everybody pronates and everybody supinates. People think that pronation and supination, rotation, extension, and flexion, all these words that we use as medical uh, people really is, are normal functions. It's just when you function or you work outside the normal range that they become a problem. And then when you connect those at the multiple levels that my Q is discussed, whether it's the foot, the tibia, uh, the hip, the low back, um, the thoracic region, that's when you have to get everything that works together. You know, there's a whole kind of books about total of, you know, connectivity. And I really do think the, the body is, a, uh, is, is all about connectivity, whether it's outside or not. Um, there's a lot of books on there. there you know, uh, there's one called Fascia Train uh, by Tom Myers. And um, it's all about, you know, the body's one big fascia plane connected. But it really is all connected. And that's why you can, that's how you separate the amateur from the pro, from the everyday person is, is basically looking at the connectivity, how everything moves. And uh, it's big to talk about mechanics and biomechanics, but really they all come into play. And if one's out of play, you know, then the alignment's out. And I'm not trying to act like a physical medicine person or a chiropractor or, you know, uh, or a physical therapist for that matter. It's just that you have to think that way that really it's, uh, whether it's a domino theory or one thing's connected to the other, so if one's off, you know, you can think about your car. If your car alignment's off, the tire is off, it's gonna affect the other tire, it can affect the steering, it can affect your brakes, what happened more wear. So it's the same idea. So you gotta keep it tuned up like a high performance car uh, and everything has to be in uh, dynamic balance. Amen. Amen, I couldn't agree with any of that, uh, any more than I already do. I, that's great, I think you nailed it. Uh, can we let our listeners know how to get in touch with you. Yeah, basically it's health mark, foot and ankle. We have multiple offices. Um, I have three um, uh, partners and associates as a staff and a large staff among uh, within the offices. And the main number is 610-565-3668. The easier way to remember is 565-foot. Um, um, so that's, that's all part of it. But uh, um, that's that's about it, and uh, I appreciate being here tonight, and uh, look forward to coming back someday to, to go to a deeper level or another level. Let's do it. We got to do part two: uh, over pronation, over supination within the norms. You're shaking your head already. Yeah, this, people have to realize when you look at this that you know pronation and supination, some of these movements are normal, except within you know, when they go outside the bounds. So the people throw these terms off, you know, at foot with shoes and all companies of sneakers and all that. And, but anyway, really it is a natural movement, but when you go outside the normal boundaries, that's when it becomes possibly symptomatic. That's a teaser for part two. I love it. All right, doc. Thanks a lot for I joining mean, us. Thanks. Man. Be well. Thanks for listening to the on cue performance therapy podcast. If you'd like this episode, please subscribe on Apple podcasts and Spotify. It would mean so much to me if you could leave us a five-star review so more listeners like you could get this important information. See you next time.